Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Joel, hey, do I need a good morning? Do I need to do anything here, Joel? It's good. Okay. Uh, for those of you visiting with us this morning, as Leverence mentioned, we're uh, as a church going through the Book of Acts. Been camped out for a few weeks in Acts chapter two, verses forty-two to forty-seven, going through the purposes of our church. Uh, if you remember last week, Leverence talked about prayer. Uh, the week before, we had uh, Joel talking about uh, fellowship, smitty, and service. And next week, I believe we get to dive into evangelism. Uh, a few weeks ago, you'll remember KT brought to us discipleship or teaching. Uh, and that, that was so good. Uh, but this morning, uh, we get a look at the breaking of bread. So let's dig into our passage here and read it. Acts 2.42, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Reverential awe came over everyone, and many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. All who believed were together and held everything in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. Every day they continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house, sharing their food with glad and humble hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. Focusing this morning, as we see at the top, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread into prayer, focusing this morning on the breaking of bread section of that, um, worship to do that. What is the breaking of bread? Uh, what does it mean? Where does it come from? This is what we're going to talk about this morning. I wasn't authorized to share this story, so I might get in trouble later. Uh, but as I recall, my dear wife Georgiana, when she was just a wee shipman, uh, a child, uh, her and her older brother just a couple years older than her, little kids, they would go to church with their parents, uh, brethren church, they would see people taking the breaking of bread, taking communion, and but they didn't quite fully understand what was going on. So they wanted to, obviously, I guess, be like their parents or something. So whenever their parents would leave the house or leave them alone for a minute, Georgie and her brother Sylvia would go find some bread, and they'd go in the kitchen or something, and they'd sit at the table, and they'd be real quiet. They take their little bread and then they break it and take it and then they'd have a pretend cup and it was like a tea party but breaking bread and they <laughs> they didn't understand uh, what it meant and I think some of us this morning have a little better grasp on it than little Georgie and Sylvie had um, but this morning hopefully we can dig in uh, to see where it comes from why we do it why we should do it um, why it's important and all these kinds of things so. Let's look at it. The breaking of bread defined, first of all. Scripture seems to suggest that this was the communal taking of bread and wine in remembrance of the Lord Jesus, probably preceded by a meal. There's scriptures that suggest uh, that the early church did it differently than a lot of churches do it today. Uh, Acts 2.46 suggests that it was kind of with a meal. We just read that. Uh, they broke bread from house to house and they shared food with glad and humble hearts. Um, probably when the Lord Jesus instituted this at the Last Supper, um, he broke the bread before the meal and then after, me after the meal passed the cup. And so there was probably a meal that the early church shared together 
in common. They probably sat facing each other. And this is not something that's practiced by a lot of churches today uh, for a few reasons that we, we will get into later. Acts 20 verse 2 um, suggests that this is a communal thing. They met together. Acts 20 uh, verse 7. Did I say 2 or 7? 7. Uh, Acts 20 verse 7 suggests that uh, on the first day of every week they met together and they broke bread. So it's a communal thing. It's not something that we are uh, necessarily doing on our own, but together, and we'll talk about that also later. And 1 Corinthians 10:16 and 11:23-25 suggests that it's remembrance. Uh, it's a means by the way we remember the Lord, and we'll get into all that later. Um, but I think breaking the bread here, some have suggested in my studies that uh, maybe that's just a meal, but I think it's more than that. Um, it indicates a remembrance of the Lord Jesus, something that was done together um, by the believers of that day. Uh, has many different names, so we'll look at a few of these. The most common, probably that we've all heard, communion, which actually means shared or mutual participation. Uh, probably the most common term that we hear for uh, what's called in this passage is breaking of bread. The Eucharist, this is, comes from the Catholic Church, they use this word, the Eucharist comes from a Greek word which literally means to give thanks. And so although we may believe a little bit different than the Catholics along this line, um, I think that our breaking of bread service is a Eucharist. It's a Thanksgiving service in which we remember the Lord and we give thanks for what He's done for us. Talking about all that in just a second. I like personally my favorite uh, is what Paul sets forth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He calls it the Lord's Supper. So for the purposes of today and the rest of the, this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, communion, but I'm going to be calling it the Lord's Supper. Um, so let's look at the practice of the Lord's Supper. I've laid out some P's for us here. The priority of the Lord's Supper, we'll look at why it's so important. The precursor to the Lord's Supper, where did it come from? What basis do we have to do it? The purpose of the Lord's Supper, why do we still do it? Why is it important? The parts of the Lord's Supper, what do the bread and the cup symbolize? What do they mean? And the participants in the Lord's Supper, who can partake? So we're going to try to cover all this. I have limited time here because we've got a baby dedication, um, which is very important. So we're going to try to be done, leaving time a little bit at the end for discussion. So let's go ahead and roll right along. The priority of the Lord's Supper. Uh, and this is where we bring in our central passage from Acts this morning. If you've gone to Emmaus, many of you have been in Emmaus, uh, been in a Glock class, he calls these the big four. The Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. This is Glock's big four. Um, and our church uh, adapts these big four. Um, we think teaching is very important, fellowship is important, breaking the bread very important, and prayer. And breaking the bread obviously is high on the priority list um, in the, what the early church practiced. At the Great Adventure, we also believe that service and evangelism are very important. So if you'll look at our um, statement or our objectives, you'll see that these are our six big objectives. Breaking the bread obviously being one of the primary um, objectives there, um, tied in with worship glorifying the Lord through remembering Him. So it's a very important um, priority at this church, and we'll talk about why that is. The precursor to the Lord's Supper, where does it come from? Why do we do it? Uh, someone coming in from the outside may see us 
passing a little loaf of bread and sharing it around and these little cups with red liquid in it. What does it mean? Where does it come from? Why do we do it? Originally, if we look all the way back, we remember the Passover in Exodus 12. Uh, remind you of the story. The Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians under bondage for many, many years. The Lord calls Moses to come and set his people free from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Pharaoh says, no, it ain't happening. So I'm keeping the people. The Lord sends ten plagues. We remember the plagues were horrible. Turn the river to blood, frogs, boils, flies, all kinds of nasty stuff. But the tenth plague... Uh, seeming to be the worst because it's actually the one that eventually drove Pharaoh to release the people, was the tenth plague was the Lord says, I'm going to send the Spirit of the Lord, the angel of death, and he's going to go and he's going to kill the firstborn in every household. And he gave the Israelites a way to be saved from this horrible plague, and that is they had to take a lamb, a spotless, perfect lamb, and they had to kill it, and they had to spread the blood on the doorpost. And when the angel of the Lord came through and saw the blood on the doorpost, that household would be saved from this horrible plague. So the angel of the Lord comes through. The Israelites are required to make some kind of a sacrifice. It can't just be their one-legged lamb that's hopping around in the backyard. It had to be a spotless, perfect lamb. So there's a sacrifice there. This was uh, probably cost them a lot. Um, and yet they did the sacrifice in order to survive, in order to be saved. And so for years and years and years, the Jewish people, um, in anticipation of the Messiah, they looked back and they celebrated every year what was called the Passover feast. And they remembered, it was the time when they got together, they feasted, and they remembered when they were delivered, when they were saved, when they were set free, by wiping the blood on their doorposts, they were saved from that plague, and they were saved from bondage. In Egypt, And so these people would meet as a remembrance, a Passover feast every year. And this is where kind of the precursor of our breaking the bread service. When Jesus comes along, we'll remember at the Last Supper, he implements a new feast. Uh, we'll read this here. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take and eat, this is my body. And after taking the cup and giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of the covenant that is poured out for the many for forgiveness of sins. And so what Jesus is doing here is they're gathered for the Passover feast. I'm sorry that picture is not more clear, but I think we all know that. Uh, it's Jesus and the disciples gathered around the table. Uh... But what he's doing here is he's saying they're meeting at the Passover feast. And for years and years and years, the Jews have been celebrating this Passover feast, saying, we're saved from Israel, or from uh, Egypt. We're saved from the wrath of the Lord on the tenth plague. And this is what they gather. But Jesus here is saying to his disciples, from now on, I'm going to set forth a new sacrifice. The new sacrifice is going to be me. It's going to be my body, which is broken for you. It's going to be my blood, which is shed. And from now on, as he says, and we'll look at this in Luke 22. From now on, do this in remembrance of me. And so he's setting forth, he's removing that Passover feast. We no longer have to sacrifice the lamb. We no longer have to uh, wipe the blood on our doorposts. We no longer have to celebrate that we were delivered from Egypt. But now we celebrate that as Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins, we celebrate that we've been freed from our bondage of sin, freed from 
um, an eternity of death and hell. And so this is what we celebrate, and Jesus implements this new feast, no longer celebrating the lamb, the deliverance from Egypt, but celebrating our deliverance from sin based on what he's about to do on the cross. And I don't think probably the disciples fully grasped this yet um, because they didn't have full understanding, but after Jesus died on the cross, it became very clear uh, what this meant and what they are to carry on and celebrate. We have been saved from death and free from bondage, and that's why we can have this Eucharist, this uh, practice of giving thanks. Um, John 6.51, Jesus also uh, makes another parallel to the Old Testament when he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So Jesus is basically saying to the Israelites here, you used to celebrate the manna that fell and fed you in the wilderness when you were wandering in the wars. The manna came and fed you from the Lord, but now I'm the living bread. From now on, you're going to celebrate me, not the coming of the manna. You're going to celebrate me and my death for you. And that's what we celebrate uh, through this symbol of the bread and the uh, cup that was shed for us. Jesus is actually called the new Passover lamb. First uh, Corinthians 5.7 uh, calls Jesus our Passover lamb. And it reminds me also when John the Baptist uh, said in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, I put this picture up because I had to. <laughs> I, many of you remember Josh Elgard was here long ago and he was talking about John the Baptist and he brought this picture and I thought it was hilarious. So this is John the Baptist. <laughs> Uh, this is what you get if you do a Google image search for John the Baptist right here. Uh, but G John the Baptist, before Jesus came, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Christ is the new Lamb. No longer do we celebrate way back when uh, we were redeemed from Egypt or from the Passover. We don't celebrate the Passover. We celebrate uh, when Christ took our sins upon the cross and he shed his blood and died for us. 1 Corinthians 11.26 says, Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So not only is our Lord's Supper service looking back, um, thankful for the Lord's work on the cross, but we're looking forward in eager expectation of when he's to come. Uh, the Israelites in the day looked back at the Passover and forward to the coming Messiah. So they celebrated the Passover and they looked forward to when their Messiah would come. We're different than that. We look back at the cross and look forward to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, a cool example that I found um, was the story of a church in Wisconsin. And to the Jews, uh, to the Israelites, it's a big deal. Everybody wants to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. And so uh, there's a Jewish tradition that on the last day of the Passover feast, um, they raise their cups and they say, next time in Jerusalem as if they want to be um, celebrating the Passover feast in Jerusalem next year. And so they all raise their cups next time in Jerusalem. Well, there's a small church in Wisconsin, and I don't know the name of the church, but I, but I heard about it. And every time they celebrate the Lord's Supper together, they take communion together, they raise their cups, and they say, next time with Christ, when we will no longer have to remember, um, but we'll be able to see him face to face, um, and it'll be much better. So maybe in, in our hearts, when we take uh, communion together, we just think, next time with Christ. What's the purpose of the Lord's Supper? 
I would set forth uh, that there are many purposes of the Lord's Supper this morning. I'm going to set forth two. First of all, uh, the Lord's Supper is to be a, re- a memorial. And the second purpose is that it's to be a fellowship. Let's look at memorial. Luke 22, 17 through 20. Uh, Jesus basically passes the bread, passes the cup, and he says, From now on, do this in remembrance of me. So we take the bread and the cup not as a means of salvation, but as a memorial of the salvation that we received when Jesus sacrificed his body and his blood on the cross for our sins. We at the Great Adventure Church do not believe that um, you have to take communion to be saved, um, but we do believe that it is a memorial, it's a reminder for us of the salvation that we received. So that's purpose number one, that uh, the breaking of bread is a memorial, uh, I can't even talk, a memorial and a remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Second of all, I would set forth uh, that it's a fellowship. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 17, taking uh, the bread and the juice together uh, unifies the church. Celebrating the Lord's Supper together highlights the fellowship of unity that we have, a common bond in Jesus Christ. We take communion as a community of the redeemed. Let me read real quick for you, uh, since I didn't get it up there. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. Paul says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we gave you a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. And so the symbol of there being one sacrifice, one loaf, is a symbol of our unity. And so taking the uh, elements together uh, is a symbol of our fellowship. And it unifies the church to be able to remember our Lord together. And this is why uh, we practice that. Um, We have the men share maybe some thoughts. On Wednesday night, if you join us for our service, we'll have uh, men share thoughts of what the Lord has encouraged them with. we set forth a theme, and this is all means to, first of all, remember our Lord Jesus, but secondly, to encourage each other and to unify our body as we grow closer together in remembering our Lord. So those are the two uh, purposes that I'll set forth this morning of the Lord's Supper, a remembrance, a memorial, and to unify our body, um, to do that something together to build up our fellowship. Let's look at it briefly at the parts of the Lord's Supper. Obviously, we have the bread and the cup. Um, Questions may arise about the cup. Why do we take juice? The Bible, they took wine. Um, A lot of people take juice today because alcoholism maybe has become a big problem um, in society today. And so um, we wouldn't want to be passing wine that would cause someone to stumble, cause someone to be able to slip back into it. Um, I would suggest that it's not important what's in the cup. Um, it's a remembrance. It's a symbol of the Lord Jesus. And uh, so anything that can bring to memorial, and that's why we use like a red juice, because it's a symbol. It, it reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed. Um, there's four views as to what the bread and cup exactly are. So we're just going to briefly kind of dig into these views and take a look at them. The first view is that of the Catholic Church. Uh, it's called transubstantiation, a real mouthful. Everyone say it together, transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. Uh, 
if anyone can write a song with that word in it, I'll give you a dollar. Uh, transubstantiation means substance transformed. In this view, it is believed that the bread and wine are supernaturally transformed into the actual body and blood of Christ. So when they take the bread and juice, it actually turns into the, supernaturally turns into the actual uh, body and blood of Christ. A second view, a uh, little bit watered down version of transubstantiation is consubstantiation. Just to keep you awake, let's say that together. Consubstantiation. Very good. This is uh, practiced highly in the Lutheran church. Um, kind of a middle ground view. It says that the bread and wine do not fully transform into the body and blood of Christ, but they do contain elements of the body and blood of Christ, the actual body and blood of Christ. So something supernaturally happens when an uh, ordained priest prays over the bread and juice, something supernaturally happens, and the elements are said to contain actual parts of the body and blood of Christ. Um, the view of the Reformed churches, Presbyterian movements, and that sort of thing, uh, called a spiritual view. Uh, this view states that in a special way, the spiritual presence of Jesus is with those who take the bread and wine. Uh, so, when you're taking communion, Jesus comes in spirit and is with you there. And I would suggest that um, none of these are what we practice at the Great Adventure Church. Um, we do not believe that the elements that we take supernaturally turn into the actual body and blood of Christ. We do not believe that they contain it in any way. Um, and we also believe that um, the Lord's presence is with us all the time. No more with us when we take the bread than any other time. And so uh, I would suggest a fourth view, um, which is what our church holds, the representative view. This view states that the bread and wine symbolically represent the body of Jesus that was broken and his blood that was shed. And so it's a symbol, it's a memorial, just to, to help us uh, as a reminder. The Lord broke the bread as a symbol. He passed the cup as a symbol for us um, to remind us that we would remember him uh, better. So uh, I would suggest that we hold to the representative view um, opposed to transubstantiation, consubstantiation, and the spiritual view. Uh, if you have questions about it, I'd love to talk to you about this kind of things later. Uh, but for the sake of time, we roll on. The participants in the Lord's Supper. Uh, who can partake? What do you need to do uh, to be able to take um, the bread and the juice? Uh, we'll talk about some things that our church uh, believes in this. Uh, but first, we have in Scripture a stern warning. 1 Corinthians 11, 27-29. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, Hey, come on, baby. <laughs> Whose kid is that? Anyway? <laughs> it's you? Uh, she's Romanian, it's okay. <laughs> The Apostle Paul sets forth a stern warning. He says, For this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. A person should examine himself first, and in this way let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For the one who eats and drinks without careful regard for the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Based on the context of this verse, um, the most common uh, translation of this verse would be that uh, you examine yourself, you confess inward sin, sin that you need to set forth, get straight with the Lord before you can participate 
uh, in taking the elements. But I think there's also a dimension of um, not inward but outward sin, um, unifying the body in the context of 1 Corinthians 11. He's talking about uh, unity of the church in the way that they do um, their services. And so unity in the way that they do the Lord's Supper. And so I would suggest that not only do we need to examine ourselves inward, confess that sin, get right with the Lord, uh, but we need to get right with each other. If there's something, a burden that we have with a brother, something that we're holding against each other, and we participate in the taking of the bread and the juice, I think that we can do it in an unworthy manner. And so we have a stern warning here uh, that we need to examine ourselves. If there's anything in my own heart, um, any sin that I have in my own heart or outward with someone in the church, uh, we need to take care of those things before we remember the Lord together because um, we don't want to be guilty of uh, taking the body of uh, body and the, be guilty of, against the body and the blood of the Lord. Uh, are there prerequisites for taking the Lord's Supper? If so, and what are they? Um, is salvation a prerequisite for taking the Lord's Supper? I would suggest that it is. Um, you need to have been there to remember something, and so in order to remember the salvation that we have through the shed blood of Jesus, uh, we need to accept that salvation. Um, so I would suggest that um, believers and any believers uh, may take of the elements. Self-examination, I think, is another prerequisite. As we just read in the passage, we need to examine our hearts, uh, get everything straight before we go in. We can't just flippantly go and remember the Lord, um, but we need to examine ourselves. What about church membership? A lot of churches hold that you have to be a member in order to uh, share in the taking of the Lord's Supper. I would suggest that at this church we don't believe that. Um, if you are a believer, we'd be happy for you to take the elements with us and share in that with us. So we're going to cross that out. What about baptism? <laughs> uh, baptism, a lot of churches suggest that you need to be baptized before you can participate in the Lord's Supper. I also don't agree with that. I, uh, we believe that um, baptism is good. We obey the Lord by becoming baptized, um, but it is not a prerequisite for remembering the Lord. Um, there's not biblical basis. The Bible doesn't say this and that and that you have to do before you can uh, take communion. Communion actually isn't even a word that's found in the Bible. Um, the Lord's Supper is the only uh, word that we've found for it. Remembrance meeting. Um, but the, the Bible doesn't specifically say exactly this, this, this you have to do and you can't do this. And, um, but I believe that um, salvation, you have to have been saved in order to remember your salvation and obviously set forth um, that you need to examine yourself so that you don't take it in an unworthy manner. Uh, in conclusion here, as we move in, have some good time for discussion. Uh, pulling back all of our points together, Celebrating the Lord's Supper is an act of primary importance when the members of the community of the redeemed for the purpose of remembering the Lord and the unification of the church share the bread and the cup as symbolic representations of the body and blood of Christ which were broken and poured out for the forgiveness of sins. It's a mouthful. I'm going to leave it up there in case you want to write that down. If you haven't got anything else, let's read it one more time. Celebrating the Lord's Supper is an act of primary importance when the members of the community of the redeemed for the purpose 
of remembering the Lord and the unification of the church, share the bread and the cup as symbolic representations of the body and blood of Christ, which were broken and poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. As I was sorting through some things last night, uh, getting everything in PowerPoint, making sure my lines shot through my words and stuff like that, uh, Georgie was in the kitchen or something, and she began singing an old song, um, which was appropriate in my mind for this morning, uh, because as we remember the Lord, um, as we focus on Him, as we turn our eyes on Him, uh, we forget about the worries of this world, we forget about our selfish ambition and things like that. And she was singing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, and it's a simple chorus that just says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And uh, I think that's appropriate for our remembrance meetings, that as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, as we remember Him, uh, symbolically through the symbols, um, we can encourage each other, and the things of this world will go strangely dim as we remember our Lord together. So, Some discussion questions I had this morning. Um, we've been doing things a little bit different this month, uh, trying it out, trying to have our uh, extended remembrance meeting on Wednesdays, and then also remembering the Lord on Sundays. Um, but we want to discuss these things. Um, so first of all, I'd like to ask, what can we do as a church to improve the way that we celebrate the Lord's Supper? I believe that it is a celebration. Uh, as It's a Eucharist. It's a time for us to give thanks and remember our Lord. But well, what can we do as a church to improve the way that we celebrate the Lord's Supper? And secondly, I would ask, what can we do in individually to better prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper? I think a danger that I have in my own heart is letting it become cliche because maybe we do do it more often than most churches. A lot of churches only do it once a month. Um, but am I in danger of letting it become cliche where it's just a tradition, where it's just the thing comes, I take it, I pass it, and it doesn't mean anything? And that really scares me. So what can we do individually to better prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper so that it has that deep meaning for us. So I ask you to split up in small groups here and discuss these things. We'll gather. We only have a few minutes left here, so we'll gather in about five minutes, uh, talk about it a little bit, and close down.